Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. When I first told my mom that I was leaving my very normal PR agency and going into cannabis, she was like, Mary Jane, are there benefits? Yes, if there's healthcare, it's real. It's not, I'm not being paid in pot. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Thank you. I am Joyce Gerber, and welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time. Good to see you, Dave. Good to see you. It's been a little while, but good, good to see your smiling face. We're back in, back in action on the Cannamom Show. Out here, so in New England, although it's not really snowing, but it looks like it's snowing where you are. Uh, it's, that, it's, <laughs> it's virtual snow on my monitor behind me, so don't tell anyone. It's fake. Okay. Um, <laughs> awesome. All right, so while I've been away, I've become an international number one best-selling author, so you hey. know, I just want to give a shout-out to right. the Courage in Cannabis book, the anthology. Am I getting clapping? Yeah, you are. All right, quiet down, everyone. So just want to give a shout-out to the Courage in Cannabis book. We are on, we're starting a tour. So, so cool. I know. So Dr. Bridget and Trisha and the other authors are going down to North Carolina to hang out with my friend Franny from Franny's Pharmaceuticals. And she they're going to be doing a book signing down there on her farm. And I'm trying to organize an event for April 16th in right. Boston, Massachusetts. So if you're in your neighborhood, come on up. You can get a signed copy. Meet me. And maybe some of the other ladies and men from across the country will do a road trip to Boston. It'll be fun. Is that going to be at a local Barnes & Noble or something or what? No, it is actually going to be at my friend's husband's gallery. 
Ah, in the la South la. Boston, Poshy. Nice. <laughs> nice. The Candid Mom Show. We're moving up in the world. Heck yeah! I I um I still need to get my copy. I promise I will. We'll get it to you. Will there be um, an audio book, Joyce, or no plans yeah, for that yet? Actually, there will be. No, there okay. actually is going to be an audio. Doctor Bridget was talking about trying to find the voice for the audio book, and she wants to make sure it's a good voice. I I'm not involved with these choices, but yes, there will be an audio version of the Courage and Candid. Normally, I would volunteer, but I have uh, this too much bass in my voice for this. I think. The ladies do love your yeah. voice, though. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on, you. Oh, you. Oh, you. Yeah. Okay, so April 16th is also going to be the launch of the first Canon Mom Show crowdfunding campaign. Woo-hoo! Nice. All right. Normally, we do a quilt giveaway. This has been our tradition for a few years, but I have other swag now. So there'll be an opportunity to get a copy of the book, Courage and Cannabis, and all our other cute swag. We have three years, four years now. We have lighters, Canon mm-hmm. Mom Show lighter. Who wouldn't want a Canon Mom Show lighter? Of course, you always need one. And Yep. And this adorable pot pocket, which I know I'm holding it up and it says an audio only, but it's an actual, it's a wooden mechanism that has bendy hinges oh, that's cool. and you can store your joints in it. That's so cool. Yeah. Got the Canon Mom Show logo or cup of tea, your mug. So That's a quality mug. I it love, is. It's love big. It's, it's big and colorful and it's just what you want in a mug. All right. So that's me. Uh, we'll keep you posted. April 16th. That's the launch. And just one more shout out. So my daughter's at University of Arizona, mm-hmm. which is wicked, as I say, far away from Boston. Right. But they are adding a course. And I think everyone should go into cannabis. And I just found out they're adding a course on the skills needed to work in the cannabis industry being offered in connection with Green Flower Partners, which is just awesome. That's great. That's progress. That's uh, I think that's going to be just the tip of the iceberg. This, in, oh, yeah, this industry is. You should be uh, Professor Joyce teaching Maybe. people about careers in cannabis, I think. I do have an abnormal amount of information on cannabis, yeah, you do. but I'm trying to be a local candidate cannabis policy advisor, but he thinks I'm joking, but I'm serious. <laughs> I don't know why he thinks I'm joking. Well, especially in, we're talking about Cambridge now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got you to gotta have your platform down pat in Cambridge on, on cannabis for sure. I live in Tip O'Neill's house. I have legit credentials to <laughs> politics. All right, I'm gonna talk I know, about as the intro says. Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's right. <laughs> All right, so let's – thanks, Dave. They're just getting crazy here. I've been here for a while. But let's introduce today's guest because she's fascinating and interesting, and I'm sure she'll love to talk about Tip as well. Okay, so today's guest. Today's guest is a journalist, communication strategist, and political policymaker. She has worked in the cannabis industry for the past six years in the communications as the founder of Panoptic Strategies, a consulting firm that works specifically with cannabis clients. In addition to her communications work, she has also worked with lawmakers to inform them on tax policy and provided the U.S. Senate Finance Committee with the data necessary to draft cannabis tax legislation. Cannabis and politics, I love this. Before joining the cannabis movement, She served as the communications director for Congressman Bill Schuster, the chairman of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Today's guest has a wide depth of knowledge in communication stemming from more than 10 years of experience as a journalist with Fox News and NBC News in Washington, D.C. She has interviewed heads of state, covered natural disasters, political campaigns, terrorist trials, and told the stories of countless Americans across the country. But I know her as a regular contributor to the state of cannabis, the stickiest news source on Clubhouse. Please welcome to the Cannabis Show, Gretchen Gailey. Thank you for joining us today. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. So good to see you. So I know you have your serious hardcore journalism credentials, but you are on the state of cannabis. So how did you find yourself there? How did you find those people? <laughs> it, it was just kind of interesting. Just talking to Susan. I knew Susan from around the end and she was saying, have you heard about this thing, Clubhouse? And, and I had, but not really. And when, did had, you, when, did you, when did you join? I've been on for about a year. So I just had my year anniversary on Clubhouse. They put okay. a little balloon next to your icon. I just had mine a week ago. And I, and she was like, oh, well, I'm starting a show and we're really looking for a different viewpoints on cannabis. And I'm like, well, I, I definitely am going to have different viewpoints from a bunch of the other contributors because I'm an unapologetic conservative in the space and have no problem talking about how others from across the aisle can contribute to this conversation. Amen. I talk about pot, politics, and religion. Bring them all on. And yeah, I not? do... I do think it's the Venn diagram. Like I said, I do live in Cambridge. I'm active in local, local politics. Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House with Reagan, his father built my house, and this is his hood. So when I walk around doing old school politics stuff, I really do the door knocking and they really knew him. I mean, that, that's, there's no better credentials than living in Tip O'Neill's house. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this can help bring us together. Everybody, I'm going to be introducing Sarah, Sarah Fox, Sarah as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've been talking to her as well. She's trying she's trying to get a young Democrat to, on the show too to talk about this at that level. So I just I find this fascinating. But I'm glad your voice is there. No, of course. I mean, we need to hear from everyone. That's the only way this is going to get done. And I think so many people forget that you need both sides of the aisle to vote on this uh, issue or nothing's going to pass. And we are Americans. We have more in common with each other than anyone else. I don't know why we can't accept that. All right, that's my own political I have my little, can you see back there? I have Elizabeth Warren and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't oh, know. Nice. I can, I can, oh, okay. I can see definitely Ruth. Yeah, I see Elizabeth now. My mother just passed and these are actually in her house because she was like a hardcore feminist and I took them home with me too. No, I'm definitely a bigger fan of RBG than Elizabeth Warren, but yeah. <laughs> she's, she's my neighbor basically. Uh, okay, so let's move on. <laughs> we know that everything, everything in cannabis is special. It's like the real world, but upside down. Mm-hmm. And you're working in communications. So can you just talk a little bit about what you're finding is really unique or what you're maybe what's good and what's challenging about being in cannabis communications at this point? Sure. I would, I would say that a hard part for me, I work with a lot of different associations. I do work with operators and clients. I've covered everyone, all aspects of the supply chain. And I think sometimes cannabis really gets stuck in this mindset, just the industry, and they don't understand that to get coverage, to speak to people outside of the industry, you really have to look at how uh, this industry can apply to others mm-hmm. and how, if you are not a regular consumer of cannabis, why this is something you would want to consider, why you want to talk about how it can become a new medicine um, in your medicine cabinets that people have not really considered and for a lot of the older generations have really been taught to be afraid of for a number of years. So that's always been interesting. And then, and it's also a part of a lot of what I do is, and, and it's gotten better over the past few years, six, seven years ago, this was a real struggle talking, um, talking stoner to legislators and trying to help people understand where they were coming from. And one of my Favorite things that I've done in cannabis is really befriend a lot of folks up in the Humboldt region. Mm -hmm. And trying to get in there in the beginning was just such a tough, tall order, basically having to get invited to come out there. And then when I first came out there, which was really just on kind of fact finding and really trying to understand and see where they're coming from. And a lot of people don't want to talk to me. They're like, you're Washington, you're big brother. They're like, 
who do you work for? I'm like, I don't work for anybody. I'm trying, I'm trying to help you guys. And so years and years of, of working and talking with those folks and really trying to help communicate what they're trying to get across. And at one point I got in a huge fight with some friends out there and, and they were like, no, 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 we need to have these fights. We see you as kind of like the middleman. You're the one who's kind of carrying our message back there because they really don't get what we're trying to do. Uh, they just see us as outlaws and or that we're all bazillionaires from the years and years of the illicit market. And so they can over-regulate and tax us to death and think we can afford to do this. And that's really been the hard part is helping folks understand the different plights of cannabis and how folks are not, not getting rich off of this product. No. Uh, and I don't know why lawmakers think that's the case. Um, and again, think- and, it's, and it's a policy. I mean, I do talk about this. I'm a lawyer by training mm-hmm. and this idea that the people enforcing the laws are enforcing them because they're based on bad policy because the people who whispered in the ears of the lawmakers, they didn't know what they were talking about or this is intent. I mean, I think it was intentional where we got to with cannabis, but in the reverse order, we need people like you or even like me. I say I'm a tennis playing pearl wearing. I live in Cambridge, which Mm -hmm. if I lived anywhere else, I'd be considered progressive. I'm pretty moderate here, (laughs) but I think people can hear me and they can hear you. And it's just this idea that it's, it's not what we were told and that this is not as dangerous as people were led to believe. And these policies need to be based and we're not, and the taxing is getting people, pushing people out of the business, really. I mean, you're ta- we can talk about taxing in a minute, but this has been very difficult and people stay in this industry despite all the hardships and specifically the women I'm talking to stay in and maybe the growers because they know it's therapeutic and they know they're healing themselves or they're healing a child. So that seems to be the incentive because it's very, you see it, it's very hard to stay in this industry. And so many folks um, I'm, I'm working with, um, Another gentleman right now, Whitney, who is a cannabis economist, and we're going to be putting out a report um, shortly that talks about what folks are going through. And I want to say, like, don't quote me on the numbers, because yeah. definitely less than 50% of operators in cannabis are actually making a profit. And the numbers are even worse for those who are saying, I'm going to stick with this, but they're regulating us to death. They They don't understand what they're doing, especially on the cultivator side. Cultivators are just getting, and that's because the the market numbers and the costs of cannabis just goes up and down with, with the, with how much interest there is in purchasing and how how much is actually in the market. And it's just the most volatile part of the industry. And they're the ones getting hammered the most. And these folks don't have much room to go. I know lots of folks, especially out in the humble region, when they first, first tried to go to legalization, suicides out in that area skyrocketed. Folks are like, we just can't do this. And it's not from a lack of wanting to. They they just could not financially afford to do this. Many left. And it's sad. I mean, these are generations of farmers who've been around. Their families have been doing this for years. We need them. We need their, yes, we need their knowledge. We need that knowledge. It's yeah. so important. And I and it drives me nuts when I love I love them to death, but it drives me nuts when I see these lawmakers putting out new bills and ideas and policies. I'm like, where did you come up with this? Yeah. So that, okay. Who let's come back to, to like, yeah, let's talk about your work. All right. So I don't know what this is, but can you tell me what the KCSA Congressional Cannabis Day Forum is and sure. how it was connected to Ricky Lake, who I actually talked to on Clubhouse because <laughs> she's on Clubhouse. I actually, I met Ricky, gosh, I don't know what, in 2019. And she was just putting out her new documentary, Weed the People. And I had seen it at a screening and it was, it was at an RQ event. I'm trying to, re- I don't remember what city we were in, but it was somewhere on the road. And also in her documentary is a very good friend of mine, Mara Gordon, um, mm-hmm. who, who runs Dan Zeldas, who has come up with amazing medicines to help right. uh, kids with cancer. 
And I'm watching this with Mara and it's just so moving to me. And I'm like, this needs to be seen in Washington. People need to know about what is happening because they hear stories and, but it's not real and or tangible until it's really in your face. Right. And so Ricky was at this event and I said, I really want to help get this into, into the Capitol and get it shown to lawmakers. And she was like, okay, knock yourself out, go for it. <laughs> and so, so I went back to DC and, and talked to a few friends and trying to figure it out. And at the time I was actually transitioning in my jobs and I took a new job at the time with KCSA, which is a, a PR and IR firm in New York who does work in the cannabis space. And when I went up there, I said to my partners, FYI, this is a side project that I'm working on mm-hmm. that matters a lot to me. And I hope you have your blessing. If I don't, oh, well, I'm going to continue to push forward and trying to get this documentary seen. And wow. credit to them, great guys who are like, absolutely, let's do this. And so we turned it into a whole day, uh, various panels with lawmakers and different that we brought into the Capitol to speak with lawmakers to understand veterans issues, to understand the social equity side, medical cannabis. It was a whole long day. And Senator Daschle, former majority speaker, majority leader for the Senate, got involved with him. I worked with him on a few projects before and showed the documentary to him. And he was like, I absolutely want to be there and support it. And I want to be a part of this. And so he has been wonderful in this movement, which is so funny. I'm like, you're the only Democrat I like. (laughs) <laughs> See, cannabis brings everyone together it that's really interesting together are they, are they open to it that's kind of like curious to me so again like i yeah. am involved with my local politics <clears throat> a friend of mine just won city council position and i did tell him mm-hmm. that i would be his cannabis advisor he thought i was joking but i'm like this is a real thing it touches everything from criminal justice to cosmetics we have a lot of issues here with social equity specifically in cambridge trying mm-hmm. to bring in the dispensaries in we're like trying to solve a uh, national problem in one little community with one dispensary license and it's turning to like a chaos really and he thought i was joking but anyway so the politics i think is interesting at a local level but at this national level are they open to this do they believe it we're telling them or i would say certain ones are and especially like with senator dashell i mean he's open to it after he has left office he hasn't been in office for a number of years at this point and i think especially for his generation not being tied to getting reelected or to constituents, he's really allowed to explore more and to um, really, really reconsider things. You always see stories about politicians who, once they've left office, have gotten into various cannabis boards on companies and different groups. Speaker Boehner took a lot of heat when he moved over. And so for a lot of them, it's changing their minds. And I think politicians are allowed to do that. Harder to take a stance against senators who move over because really cannabis legislation had never come up for a vote in the Senate. So like for with Senator Daschle, when we were working with him and talking to him a good deal, we didn't really have a record that we had to defend for him because cannabis never came up for a vote. Now with working with, I've worked with the speaker, Boehner, that was a different story because a lot of companies were definitely opposed to him and saying that he was a, a flip-flopper all these things because he has voted against cannabis before. And it was, it, it was just interesting. I mean, trying to understand where he was coming from. And for a lot of these folks, it's not until you've seen a family member yes. or a loved one who is coping with some type of problem 
and I think that's really what changes so many hearts and minds is on the medical side when you can see oh, what they can actually do. I mean, um, I've been I've been in like clubhouse rooms with um cannabis and religion, Christ, Christianity and cannabis, talking about again, it's it's almost universally the same story. Mm-hmm. Someone was healed. Someone goes down that line of pharmaceuticals, comes as desperate, or a child is desperate, and somebody does something dramatic because they don't know what else to do, and they figure out that cannabis is the thing that helps and doesn't hurt, and then they're like evangelized. There's something about that story. It, I think it's very hard to change people's minds. I think that we're all ruled by stories. That's how it works. And these stories are very powerful because they're very micro, mm-hmm. and then they can change people's lives on a micro level, and then hopefully we can change it on a a policy level and a national level so we can stop treating this as something dangerous. Right. Right. It's a, yeah, we really need, I I talk to lawmakers all the time and people ask me, are they biggest idiots as they come across? And I say, no, they really just aren't educated in the space. They don't know what they are looking at. Or I was in a meeting not too long with a number of Republican chief of staffs probably about 20 or so. I mean, we were just talking about different policy and trying to help them understand things. And we asked them, raise your hand, who's been in a dispensary? Who's been to a grow? None of them. And it's like, how are you guys regulating an industry you've never even seen? Exactly. Um, you, you need to get out there. And it, it's tough to do in Washington because we don't have that dispensaries and places for them to actually get out to go because they won't go anywhere further than like an hour away, which is a joy. Uh, <laughs> trying to get them on the bus. But, but it is that, I mean, that's my own story is that I went to Denver with my husband in 2016 and we did a private tour because I thought it'd be mm-hmm. fun. And I called it a cannabis awakening. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, literally everything I know is wrong. Right. But I had to take that step. I had to take that first step. I was looking for something, I guess. And then I came yeah. back to Massachusetts. It was the same year, 2016. We voted. So we voted to approve adult use in Massachusetts. And I was surprised because I thought we were all Puritans. Yeah. And then I got into this industry sort of backwards And then when I started telling people, everybody had a cannabis story, everybody. Well, and I think it's so interesting when they actually do get to go out and see these places and they see the amount of security, the the precautions that dispensaries and things are taking. I always hear stories about what about the children? What about them? It's not like a six-year-old's walking in the dispensary. What are you talking about? Where are you coming up with this stuff? Or like they go to see a grow and they see the science and how much effort and care is put into growing these plants. And it's just, it's so interesting to to finally see that light turn on that, oh, these people are really working hard to be compliant and do what they have to do to build a responsible industry. Maybe we should help them do that. So America used to be making money used to be our jam. And now it is Mm -hmm. so hard. Like I am a, I'm a podcaster in Massachusetts in a legal state. I talk about the product. I don't touch it. I don't sell it. I don't do anything. I could not get a bank account six Mm -hmm. months, Mm -hmm. six months just for me to get a checking account with a low fee. And yeah. how are you supposed to make, how are you supposed to build a business with those kind of conditions? I, I mean, that seems to be, that should be universal across the aisle. That's another thing. All right. So let's keep moving. We're going to run out of time. All right. Sure. What is, what is New Frontier Data mm-hmm. and what was your role? New Frontier Data, they were actually um, the first company that I joined that they are how I entered the cannabis space. I had, I had some friends who were starting it and they said, we really need help on the communications and government affairs side. And I told them, I know nothing about pot. And then it doesn't matter. No one else does either. And I was like, okay, what the hey? I was not that excited with the work that I was currently. Everything in Washington is about policy and stuff. And I was working on like ticket scalping legislation and labeling standards for 
GMO products. And I was just like, oh, losing my mind. And so I was like, like, that's huge. That's huge. And generous. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I agreed to join them and took a leap and was like, why not? I've never been an entrepreneur. Let's try and make no money and put all my faith in this industry. What the heck? And so they're a data analytics company. And a big reason of why I got involved with them, because I was, I wouldn't say that I was anti-cannabis. What year were you uh, that would have been there? 2015. It was right, right so after that's... the beginning of 2015. And I wasn't anti-cannabis, but I being coming from my side of the aisle and never touching things and always just hearing all these, watching the movies with all the stoners, crazy stuff. I was just like, yep. but New Frontier stayed a goal and still is that they are just straight down the middle. They will tell the good and the bad and the ugly about the industry, but they're doing it through the numbers and through the... And so I looked at it almost as from my journalistic, you know, lens that we're just telling stories. We're helping people not better understand this industry, not taking a stance on it. And so as I got involved with them and I worked, well, because of startup and communications, you pretty much did everything. And it was like mm-hmm. website, media, working with the sales team, any type of messaging, outer messaging, inner messaging, HR, whatever you want, builder, whatever you had to do, we did Yes, to get the place up and running were, were my jobs there. And it, it was fascinating. A wonderful, dedicated group of people at New Frontier. My favorite love of my life. My office husband, John Kagia, uh, who is their chief knowledge officer, taught me everything that I know about cannabis. And it was so funny when we first met because we weren't in an office yet. We were just conversing over the phone. And I am terrible with accents uh, unless I'm seeing you face to face. And he has uh, the most lovely uh, British accent. <laughs> but he was talking about cannabinoids and this and that and all these words that I had no idea what he was right. talking about to begin with. And then plus he had this accent. So I really did not know what he was talking about. And so after every call, I'd be like, can you send me a memo? Let's, what are the bullets again? <laughs> what did you <laughs> just say to me? It was very lilting. All right. Let's, so let's go talk about your relationship with cannabis. So you yes. didn't really have, so 2015, you started working for mm-hmm. uh, New Frontier Data and you really didn't have a relationship with cannabis. What did you think of it? Like, why would you think this is a good industry? Like, just what was your personal relationship with it? Uh, I had zero personal relationship with it. And truly, I got into the space because I I wanted to change. And I also saw it, a big part of what I loved being a journalist was that I got to see history as it happened. And so I looked at cannabis as, all right, I'm going to be a part of history. I'm going to be working and watching this industry grow and getting to be there at the, at the front door. So for me, that was super interesting. And that's really why I wanted to get into the space was to be a, just this movement. And then as my time went on at New Frontier, and I was much more exposed to people and their stories and growers and Mara, it really kind of, I don't, I don't want to say turned me, but definitely made me want to advocate more for it. And that's definitely part of the reason that I ended up leaving New Frontier. I was there for, for almost five years. And I wanted the opportunity after there to really talk about cannabis, to be out there and have an opinion and fight to get things through, to fight to get a documentary and really have that kind of voice. And so that was a big reason that I that I left there and tried to move on and start doing my own thing. All right. Um, so I always I always ask my guests, so what did your family think? Like my kids think it's hysterical that I am. Uh... I'm a maternal voice of cannabis. This is sort of a joke in our house, but yeah. you know, this has been a big transition and now I'm learning more about psychedelics and my husband's like, what is going on? I'm like, these are my new friends. This, <laughs> these are my people now. So yeah. like, what did people think about you when you're doing into this? Was it a hidden thing? Were you telling people what was the, and my mother thought I was in a drug cartel. That's my other thing <laughs> I joke. So 
So it wasn't, people weren't really excited for me, but. Right. No, it was, it was definitely funny. When I first told my mom uh, that I was leaving my very stable, normal PR agency and that I was going into cannabis and she was like, Mary Jane. And I was like, yes, mom. I don't, I don't think they really call it that anymore. And she was just like, are there benefits? I was like, yes, if there's healthcare, it's real. It's not, I'm not being paid in pot. <laughs> and she's like, all right, as long as the real job, fine, do whatever you want. And oh, I was good. like, mom, I think you can see more cannabis than I ever have. I mean, she grew up in the sixties and, you know, was oh, yeah. life back then. So, <laughs> so she had no board, no problem with me getting on board. I think she was okay. definitely a little skeptical, but okay. as long as they were paying me, she was happy, but definitely being from the right side of the aisle, I definitely met some, what I don't, what's the, there were definitely friends that I had who had even at one point told me they could not associate with me that it was I definitely, there is a, the cannabis closet in Washington. And yeah. so to come out and be like, this is what I'm advocating for. And this is what I'm working on. And people were like, what? And they're like, no, 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 no. And uh, and I was like, that's fine. You guys can go your own way and I'll go mine. And this is, and a lot of those folks, frankly, have come back around. It's I'm going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but when I first did it, they were like, are you out of your mind? What are you thinking? And I was like, why not? I've worked technically for the dark side before when I worked for Fox. I have no problem working with a group that people don't like. So it, it didn't phase me when people had an issue with me getting into cannabis. So are you like, are you like a touchstone now for people who are like, oh my God, Gretchen, I, my, like people are coming to me now. They're saying, yeah, my, my mother is this, so this person's that, and I'm not a doctor, obviously. So I try to connect them to people, but are people who are really opposed to it before coming to you now and saying, I hear it could help with this. Maybe you could help with that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I, and it's so funny. Another organization that I'm involved with heavily is the Daughters of the American Revolution. No. Uh, oh, no. oh, all right. <laughs> Which is not no. a cannabis loving crowd. <laughs> so I always say I want to be that person who walks into a room because I infiltrate clubhouse rooms, like w- women in business rooms. And mm-hmm. when they find out what I do, people are all over it. They want to hear about it more. So that's a great infiltration. And I do a lot of mom rooms. That's my other thing. So that's yeah. Great. And it's so funny. I'll talk to some of the ladies there. And definitely in the beginning, folks were definitely turning their nose up at it. What are you doing? And for a lot of them, I would just tell them, oh, I work for a data company. And I didn't really explain what we did, but then others are like, well, how do I get it? Or like, I'm going, I'm going to this legal state. What, what can I bring home? And I'm like, I can't offer you legal advice. However, do not do this, this and this. And so, and it's so funny. And they would tell me about their ailments and all their problems. And I'm like, I'm not at all. I'm like, I can point you to some, some folks to speak with. I, and I've told lots of folks how to go about getting their, their medical cards and that sort of thing. But definitely people come to me all the time with cannabis questions. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I do PR. I can't give you stock tips. I can't tell you what's going to be the next greatest thing. I can tell you who I think are snake oil salesmen or my experience and what you should or should not look out when you're starting to try new products. Again, I, I live in Cambridge. I have a certain, I'm a white Jewish lady in Cambridge. Like I have a very sort of limited perspective on the world from where I am. And my brother is a Republican and I ran for a local school committee seat here. So that was like my thing. I'm like, I can be in the middle of the road. I'm a Republican brother that I talk to. But again, this is this thing that's bringing us together. I mean, it's it's getting messed up and there are all these sad stories. And I am on the state of cannabis every day, listening to the things that aren't working right. Mm-hmm. But there are some things that are working. So I know you were working on tax policy, which is a big issue. I mean, 
this is such a local issue because it's so state specific and so local specific. And we have our own specific things in here in Massachusetts with our host agreements and these fees that you pay on top of the fees. And it's, it's a really extensive, it's extortion. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what it feels like. So what kind of things are you working at or what do you think Canada's tax policy, where is it moving? Do you think there's going to be some rollbacks? Is there some, finally some understanding that this isn't an infinite pile of cash and that if you can't even deduct your business expenses, there's got to be some, there's got to be some shift, I think. Yeah. So what are you seeing? Yeah. Well, my hope that safe banking will go through in this coming year. I do have faith that some of the folks who have been opposed to it are going to wake up. And I'm talking about Schumer, Cory Booker, that pushing an all or nothing cannabis bill is not going to go anywhere. So, so, they're, um, so they're pushing the social, they're pushing the bigger thing instead of just being able to just access banking. Yeah, sure. Which, I mean, the accessing banking, this is the biggest issue, especially for women and women of color getting capital. Yeah. And, yeah. and I understand when folks want to say, a lot of times we put out there that this really is a social equity bill in hiding. And they're like, don't call it that, yada, yada. And I'm like, I get where they're coming from when they say they don't want to try and pretend that it is. But I'm like, you can't pretend that this won't help BIPOC businesses and folks that who need to get this access to banking, getting this access to banking and capital will help in order. Just that, you want to like reset your payment processor every week and you won't maybe get shut down on social media. I mean, this is a big part of it, marketing. And that's right. how I talk about um, the podcast. So I'm a very niche podcast, Women in Cannabis. I talk, it's very specific, but it's a good place to reach an audience because it is so difficult mm-hmm. to market. <laughs> but the- I know it's it's, it's incredibly difficult. Folks are subject to predatory lenders. People are getting themselves into a huge amount of trouble because they don't have the money. And Booker and them talk about they don't want to help these major corporations. The major corporations aren't worried about safe banking. They're getting around it. They're not the ones that are being perfect. It really is the small business owners. So my hope is that that will come about in this year. When you look at the tax policy that Schumer and Booker and them have suggested, I believe it starts at 25%, which is just a non-starter. The industry cannot sustain that on top of what they pay locally, what they pay to the state. Absolutely no. I would say that's the one thing that I do like about Nancy Mace's bill, a Republican out of South Carolina. She proposed a bill probably about a month or so ago, looking at a way to legalize, and she proposed a 3% federal tax. So something like that is much more palatable uh, to what goes on top of the local taxes that we're going to be seeing. But I would say, overall, if you are, if folks are being taxed more than 30% total with everything they have to do, local, uh, federal, and all that, you're just going to keep people in the black in the black market, the illicit market, you're not going to see the transitions that you want. You're going to drive people out of this industry. They can't afford to keep up with the tax rates. So totally. And it's expensive to purchase, you know, to buy it. I don't know, an eighth for $60 at a recreational dispensary, people who aren't in this, who have not really consumed before and they're not getting their medical cards. Mm-hmm. Then I don't think that's, that's just not a good, I don't think that's a, it's hard for people to afford that. It's insane. I mean, and if you look at, you know, Louisiana, we've seen stories coming out recently about them opening up their market and them charging over $400 for an eighth because they only have a couple, they have two uh, calls. I mean, it's insane. It's like, how in the world do you expect people to enter this market charging those types of prices? It's it's just not sustainable. It's like they're trying to set the industry up to fail. I think it is. So, so do you see a crack in this? Like, so I would, I say this out in Massachusetts, which is really the only market that I really understand at this point. Before the pandemic, you had to show two forms of ID to an outside area to get into an inside area where you showed two more IDs where they had a security guard and then you got to go inside. 
to purchase your cannabis and then you got to leave. And then during mm-hmm. the pandemic, everything shifted and you could order online. They throw it in your car. Mm-hmm. So they are. <laughs> so we are able to change things quickly if we need to. But the taxing situation, I just I can see it here, especially with the host agreements, which we've had one dispensary, I think, sue and push back on that because the issue is they think there's going to be all this crime and horrible things happening. So they need on top of everything else, they need an extra three percent. And these industries are or the dispensaries specifically are coming into Massachusetts and they want to be good neighbors. So they're willing mm-hmm. to do this. They're willing to do things that no other business would ever do. So do you see this? Do you see this in other parts of the state where dispensaries are starting to push back a little bit against the state individually? Are they feeling brave enough yet? I, I don't know if folks are brave enough yet. I yeah. do see this changing, especially if legalization ever happens. I mean, once you open up interstate commerce, right. um, states are really going to have to look at how they're doing this because they're going to lose a ton of money. I think one thing that the pandemic has shown all of us is that delivery services are amazing. And oh, yeah. lots of people love them. So I really, for operators in the space, I think transitioning to delivery is going to be huge. And I think folks are not going to be wanting to just walk into a brick and mortar store. I mean, nobody wants to go into a brick and mortar store as it is in any type of store. So the ones who are really going to succeed are the ones who can transition to delivery and make things as easy as possible for their consumers. All right. And then just, I don't know, other, so is this, I know Sarah Fox is another Republican working in this area. And she keeps talking about getting it on the platform, the Republican platform, mm-hmm. <laughs> cannabis legalization, cannabis, whatever. Do you, is that moving forward? Do you have any, are you involved with the party at all at that level? Uh, no, uh, mm-hmm. but, but as an election year that's coming, I, we're going to see pot, I think have featurely heavily, featured heavily on a number of folks platforms, which we saw a little bit of last time around, but I think so many states lawmakers are going to have to deal with this. We, I did, I looked at a bunch of states that are pushing forward with legalization efforts or possibly in the next year and it was over. So it's just impossible for lawmakers to ignore at this point. They have to come out and tell people where they stand on campus. With Louisiana, right? Wasn't there a state, yes. a senator from running for senator in Louisiana? There's, there's a guy who's running for Senate who decided to smoke a blunt uh, in his most recent political commercial, which which I think is great. I mean, we've seen, especially, where is it? I think it's Minnesota, where they always put out the crazy, they have the wackiest uh, political ads ever. And it's always something insane, guy driving a tank and all sorts of junk. And so for cannabis, it was just the next natural uh, step for someone to be smoking. And I love that he's smoking a blunt, that he's not trying to be, uh, Duncan Hunter years ago smoked a, a vape pen while sitting on uh, in, 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 a, in a house committee. And I want to say they were talking about more about e-cigarettes, but that was like a whole hoopla when he smoked a vape pen. And so for this guy to be sitting there with his blunt and saying, talking about the drug and how it impacts people and especially people of color, just like him. I think that's a powerful message, frankly. I don't think he has much of a shot in hell of beating Kennedy for a reelection, but it's nice to see that he's really trying to push forward the message. This is something that people have to have to take a look at. I just, again, I did run for a local, I'm involved with local politics. I ran for a local seat. It's a really weird skill set. Being elected is a very strange skill (laughs) set. It's a very different skill set than being a policy maker like you. And I like policy. That's what I really thought I wanted to do. So it's interesting to be sort of blending these two together and that someone like you has the ear of politicians who are making these decisions because the truth is the politicians are kind of followers. They're listening to a lot of other people. So it's, for me, the worry has always been who's whispering in their ear. Is it just big industry? Is it just white men with money again? Like who's telling them what these policies should be? So 
I'm so happy you exist. Well, and the thing has always been that change comes to Washington. Washington doesn't make change. Um, and so people are always asking me, how, what can they do? And I'm like, you just have to hammer down the door of your lawmaker. I mean, it seems like they're not listening, but they do listen. Letters in our office is like, well, what do we get letters on this week? And so the boss wants to know, what are people caring about? And if it's an issue that people are writing and caring about, they will, they will start to take notice. I know it seems like the most passive and boring way possible, but that's how Washington operates. It, it does matter. For people to speak out to their representatives and really kind of push. And it's very, so again, like I live in Cambridge, we're pretty Ward 11, we're Tip O'Neill territory. I did canvas, I canvassed door to door. I do all those things, the boring things that you, people don't really understand how politics works. I mean, mm-hmm. we are the machine, the people on the ground knocking on doors, but so few people still involve and engage. So mm-hmm. this is something cannabis, we're really engaged. If we want to be involved in making the decisions, we have to step up and we have to be the people talking and making sure that the people making the rules are listening to us and not just the money people. And I know it's hard. I understand that, but just doing our little bits, right, Gretchen? Right. I mean, <laughs> what money definitely speaks, but also what speaks in Washington are votes. Yep, votes. They, they worry about losing uh, their voters. So if you tell your, your uh, member that if they can't come to a good policy on cannabis, that you're going to walk, they're going to pay attention. Power the people, man. All right. So the future, what do you think? Can you think of a couple of good things you think are going to happen in 2022 in a cannabis policy that, I don't know, any predictions? Do you ever make predictions? I, I do predict that safe banking will pass. Okay. I do believe that will happen. I think that's all we are really going to see federally. According to Nicole? No? Uh, I'd love <laughs> to see descheduler bus, but that's way too progressive for this crowd. I think that's coming down the road, maybe in a couple more years. I federally, I think that's all that we're going to see. I hope to see a number of these states that are coming online. I forget what I saw. I think Indiana has put forward like 13 bills in their legislature around legalization. And Indiana, which is just a crazy conservative home of Mike Pence, who thought these guys would be out there like, we're pushing, we're pushing for cannabis. So I think you're going to see, if I had to guess, half a dozen more states will legalize in this coming election. Um, are, you invo- are you involved with industrial hemp at all? I know that's a huge issue with like the infrastructure for hemp and farmers. And I know it's, I mean, that's really huge. If we could transfer from carbon to cannabis industrially, that would change yeah. the country, right? I, I, I never understood why people are not more on board. They don't see the value of industrial. And I'm really hoping that that does come about. And I think that's really been hampered. Um, by the lack of regulations and people understanding what they can or can't do with hemp. So if they can get that cleaned up, I think we can see a very bright future for hemp. And that, that's just going to completely change the infrastructure discussions around this country. I think hemp would be a huge boon. People always ask me when they ask me for stock tips and stuff. I'm like, forget about pop. Invest in hemp. Hemp is where it's going to be long-term. I'm hoping on the medical side that more actions happen. The DEA has been doing various things Mm -hmm. very slowly, but they have opened up for more licensing to come out of there for researchers to study it. I I tell people that I think Washington is really going to happen more in the background. I, I am not optimistic of seeing a vote where they're like up or down full cannabis legalization. But I think you will see things coming out of HHS, out of the DEA, the FDA hopefully someday will do something where that's going to form how policy is going to take shape. What about I veterans? Think, what about veterans affairs? I mean, I know this is a big issue with our veterans who are using cannabis. Veterans are tough because yeah. it's hard to change policy 
just for veterans and not deal with the active warfighter. And so I think that's why the military oh. has not done more when it comes to offering I about it. that. Yeah. Interesting. I think they can open up the discussion more in, in hospitals. And I know that's always been a part of various bills. I know Dave Joyce, he's put that forward in one of his bills to open up access for veterans. Nancy Mace's bill does a lot mm-hmm. for veterans, but I think there's going to have to be some type of rescheduling for that kind of conversation to happen because defense department does not want to touch it. So good for them. All right. Oh, we are actually up on time. All right. This was fascinating. Thank you for joining us today, Gretchen. What is the best way people want to connect with you, reach with you, follow you? Well, how do they get? Well, if you want to tune in every, uh, you know, Monday through Friday at noon on the Cannabis uh, State of News Hour, I am there. It's a flashy redhead. I think that's what they call you. But if they want to look me up through my website, it's www.panopticstrategies.com. If they want to do searches for me, my Twitter and all that jazz is just Gretchen Gailey. Uh, Nothing fancy. It's not hard to find me. There's not many feisty redhead conservatives in the space. Just say if you're looking for the redhead conservative, people know who you're talking about. All right. It'll all be in the show notes. Oh, so awesome. So thank you so much for joining us today. I am very grateful that Cannabis has you. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I greatly enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. All right. Another show, another day. So (laughs) for my guest and my Cannabro, David Jazz, and our Cannamom show team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cannamom show where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and everyone. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is The Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.